Hey, this is Just Don't Kill Yourself Today podcast, and today we have Stevie Long. Enjoy. All right, so I always start off the podcast with, where were you born? I was born in Queens, New York. How would you describe your childhood home? I think that, you know, I had a, a fairly loving home and that, you know, both my parents were there. My dad worked hard. And, you know, I had an older brother and a younger sister, and we grew up in a suburb of New York. So it was really like, you know, the great American, or I should say the very typical middle-class American upbringing. I was born in 1967, and my parents got married when they were 17 and 16, which was fairly common back then just because, you know, the era, people got married much younger. I think uh, specifically in the 60s, men did it to avoid the draft. Right. If you were if you were married, you were lower down the list. And if you had a child, you were lower down the list. Mm. So they had my brother when they were teenagers. I was born a year and a half later. My sister not long after that. So I grew up in a house where, you know, when I was five years old, my mom was only 25. And my dad was, no, no, my dad was 25. My mom was 24. You know, my parents are only 20 years older than me. Now it doesn't seem like, you know, they were just kids raising kids. God bless them. The way my parents sometimes treated me and I get angry, but at the same time, I realized like they were so young and my dad was working as a school teacher to pay a mortgage to raise kids. I can't blame them for anything. You know what I mean? Like when I was in my 20s, I was just getting high and getting drunk and getting arrested. So who, who am I to point a finger at my mom and dad and say what awful parents they were. Did you enjoy school? I really did. I was fortunate in that I remember going to kindergarten and I knew how to read before all the other kids did. It's another example of how society changed, right? Like most kids didn't go to preschool, but when I started kindergarten, I was the only one who knew how to read. So I was like the smart kid. You know, no, I, you know, I was a popular kid. I liked school just fine. You know, I think I started getting into trouble in junior high, but all through elementary school, sure. I I enjoyed it just fine. Who was your role model growing up? You know, I I wish I had one growing up and as you grow up and, and even as an adult, looking at people you want to be like, not just, you know, financially or career-wise, but just like how do you want to conduct yourself, right? Like, in, and my parents, God bless them, they weren't like spiritually super fit people, you know, like they didn't, they didn't stop and ask about my feelings or talk about boundaries. And, you know, nobody did back then. So, again, not faulting them. But I, I didn't have anyone like, you know, I used to look up to my grandfather said this, this, and this. And I still remember to this day, I've always followed that advice. It just, I, I had none of that. I wish I did. Okay, this is a little off-the-cuff question. Mad Magazine or National Lampoon Magazine? Oh, huge Mad Magazine reader. Every month, I couldn't wait to read it. I loved it. I loved Mad Magazine from, you know, maybe, I want to say third or fourth grade was about the age when you're allowed to read it. And I just got so much from that. What books did you read that made you want to be a writer? So I couldn't point to any one book, although I read a lot. I read all the time. I read magazines. I read newspapers. I read novels. I was never not reading. But I didn't actually sit down and start writing, writing until my maybe 26, 27. I actually said, maybe I could be a writer. You know, I wonder sometimes if as much as I love the Internet and I enjoy it, I wonder sometimes if it prevents people from reading the way they used to. I don't know. 
I feel like that no one reads. Like everyone listens to stuff on book or very rare you hear that sentence, man, I just finished that book. It was really great. Audible books actually activate the same imagination, which is to say there's nothing wrong with listening to your book. I do that a lot now because it's wonderful. I can quote unquote read a book while I'm washing the dishes. Right. You know, or while I'm driving the car. Yeah. Because, you know, you're still picturing it in your mind. But the other interesting thing I read about reading is that they've discovered people who read fiction are inclined to be more empathetic with others hmm. than people who don't. Right? They're just they're either instinctively more curious about how other people feel about things, or they just get into that mindset of realizing that, you know, hey, you're not the only person in the world. There's other people with their own thoughts and right. dreams and motivations and insecurities. Wow. Wow. That just, that just like rocked my mind. That's so cool. Stevie, what is your spiritual daily practice? I, I, I go in and out of it. You know, I'm going to be brutally honest and say sometimes it's like exercise for me. Sometimes I put a lot into it, right? Like there were times in my life where I was really hurting and I had to wake up in the morning and I had to pray. I didn't believe in a God who was up there with a white beard hooking me up with, you know, a job or a parking spot. But like sometimes I was just in so much pain and terror and confusion. I would say, just please, God, just tell me what to do here. And then a lot of times I found for a spiritual like cleansing of the mind was I would just write uh, what we called morning pages, right? I got this from a self-help book called The Artist's Way, where you would just write free form, just like vomit out all that noise in your head. Like if I wrote right now, I'd be like, well, you know, I've been worrying a little bit about um, I'm behind on my taxes, but at least my daughter's healthy. And just like vomiting out like your most basic like mental junk. Right, like just clearing out the mental junk in the morning, and then after that, I find overall by helping other people, that voice that says, "I'm no good. Oh, I'm a fucking piece of shit. I'm such an idiot. Oh God, I gotta lose weight. Oh, why didn't I save my? Why didn't I buy that condo in 1998? Like all that I hate myself noise. If I help someone else, that voice shuts up. In your life, were there any books or people that came into your life? You know, Friends are really important, I think, just to get outside yourself. And nothing takes the place of people in a similar position. What really gets us down so often is feeling like we're all alone or we feel like the thing we're going through is so unique. That changes over the years, right? Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged dad now. I'm not freaking out about a girl not returning my phone call. But in my 20s, that would be like, hey, can you believe it? I said this and she said that. And someone else who found that equally as frustrating needed to hear it and give me the feedback on it and talk about what they were going through. If you're an artist, someone who isn't an artist is going to have a tough time understanding your, your aggravation. So it's really important, like finding like-minded people, you know, just like that. If you have someone else going through something somewhat similar, then you feel like you're not alone. Yeah. Let's talk about your new novel. I wrote a book. I'd like to think it's a fun adventure. It's called Rhino Tribe. It's part of a trilogy called The Barbarian Saga. And yeah, look, on its surface, it's like 
barbarians who, you know, belong to different tribes and they each worship different animals. You know, there's the wolvish tribe and they live up in the hills and live with wolves. And there's the rhino tribe and they ride on the back of rhinoceroses and they have giant axes they carry around. But also, it's kind of a commentary on how society is really falling back into tribalism, which is to say, we're just forming these groups and a group can be a wonderful thing. Like, hey, Alcoholics Anonymous is where we can heal. Right. And then there's other groups where, and it's usually politicized or it's got like the wrong type of wrong type of religion where it's not about healing or being kind. It's about blaming the outsider, right? Like when I, when I say tribalism, I don't even know what the Webster's or Oxford definition is. I think of forming into a group because you're suspicious of outsiders. It just bums me out that we've gone backwards in so many ways. So I wanted to kind of comment on that. But look, you know, I hope people enjoy it as just like a fun adventure like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or The Witcher. If you like fantasy, if you like guys who are fighting with axes, you'll probably dig it. So to, to, to make a really long answer to your question, my book is a fun adventure, but I'd like to take a little bit of commentary on to, you know, mankind was born into tribalism. That's how we formed civilization. And we're kind of going back to it in some bad ways. You know, my most recent job was I was writing professional wrestling. Yes. I wasn't, <laughs> I, I wasn't happy about it, bro. And, and let me tell you something. They were paying me really well. And when you have a five-year-old child that you're responsible for feeding, you, you take any job. Right. Right. So right. like, I could say, yeah, you know, I'm writing for one of the top-rated shows, longest-running shows on the Fox Network. You might have heard of it, the <laughs> WWE Friday Night SmackDown. But, I mean, yeah, I, I was writing, you know, one guy saying to the other guy, I'm going to get you. Oh, yeah. Like, it was not <laughs> creatively where I wanted to be in my 50s. Like, that was not the trajectory I had hoped for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it's really funny, like, say, for example, in creating fantasy stories, whether it's Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, it's like something we call world building, right? Like, it's fun for me to not just watch Game of Thrones, but like to talk with other fans or to read, you know, like how they develop like the world and like, oh, you know, what's interesting about the wildlings? Or, oh, you know, the Dothraki have these rules. Culturally, there are there are rules and there's taboos and there's customs, and most of them don't make any sense. And that's what makes it unique to that tribe, to those people. We've just decided somewhere along the way that there's a certain way we say things. And that's true in maybe America, but it's not true in another country. And then it's it's rude to slurp really loud when you eat here. But maybe in Asia, they slurp all the time and it doesn't bother anyone. Like, it, it's just kind of arbitrary. Uh, I was out in Palm Springs and uh, I was waiting in line at CVS and these two guys were buying, like, all these CDs. And they're both talking like, dude, CDs are coming back. Like, we need to stock up. And I'm thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking are CDs really coming back? <laughs> but then there was that more like, maybe they're right. Maybe they know something, you know, maybe their meth lab teacher or whatever 
you know? <laughs> and like, I'm, they had like tons of them. It was hilarious. I was like, uh, it was one of those moments where I was like, I must be in the desert. This is a desert moment right here. Well, they were, yeah, they were either uh, strung out on meth or, you know what? God bless them. They were just having a lot of fun and that's what they got excited about that day. And I hope they have a fucking massive CD collection. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. I hope they got some Dido CD from the year 2000, and they're just blasting that right now. When's the last time did you cry? I mean, it was it wasn't like weeping, like a sadness, right? Like, oh, I'm so overcome with sadness. You know, I'm blessed, and then I have a, a healthy, happy five year old daughter, so she will do things that move me to the point of crying. And I want to say about was it about two years ago? Whenever the latest Toy Story came out. So she was about three and we went to go see Toy Story and she sat on my lap and we watched the movie. And then after the movie, we went to the Disney store and I bought her a doll. Like there's uh, Jesse, the cowgirl. So I bought her the doll and, and I'm pushing her in her stroller and she just out of nowhere, you know, three year old, they say a lot of funny stuff, but it was just so out of nowhere. She just says, Daddy, I had a lot of fun with you today. And bro, I couldn't help but cry. I mean, you know, I don't I don't need her to tell me, but the fact that she took that in, like she recognized that it was a fun day. I mean, you know, kids are always having a fun time. You know, half the time there's nothing to do with me. My my dog makes her laugh more than more than I make her laugh, right? But just the fact that she took that in and took the moment to say to me, you know, Daddy, I had fun with you today, bro. I was crying the whole way home. How could I not? You know, because like that, it was just beautiful. You know, I mean, there there were times when I was younger, and I don't know because I know you like to talk about this on this podcast, mental health. I think there were times where my depression was far worse, and I would find myself crying as far as I knew for no reason at all. And I don't know, I'm not an expert on the illness. I'm only familiar with how it's affected me. I've been blessed in that I don't really get down those those heavy, heavy days. I don't experience the way I used to. When I was younger, it was far worse. My, my 20s were brutal. You know, I don't, I don't wish it on anyone. But if anyone is listening to this and they feel like, you know, it's never going to get better, it does. It does. You know, it really does. Like, it's not so much an issue for me now. Believe me, I have my bad days, brother. You know, I have I have days where I get angry at myself, but I don't I don't drown in that quicksand that I used to drown in. And the thing is, we never know how we're affecting people. I want to hear. Tell me about what it's like being a dad and and that whole experience. Because I feel like since you've had a child, there's been this shift. Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you. Because I'd like to think the shift has been in the right direction. I spent a lot of my life trying to control things, right? Like thinking that was the answer. And a lot of us do. And so many of the relationships in my life were on my terms. And I'm not saying I was, I mean, when I was younger, younger, I was like a control freak, like dating a girl and telling her, I don't like that friend of yours you're hanging out with. Or why do you do that? Or don't say that. Like, not. I, I grew out of being that much of a jackass, but then also like even in relationships where I was respectful, you know, and loved 
the woman I was dating. It was still kind of on my terms, like in the back of my mind, like I could bail from this when I'm ready or when I want to. Wouldn't lie to them or cheat on them or be mean, but just kind of always be in control, right? And what happens when, when you have a child, you are so not in control, right? You're absolutely not in control. And what's wonderful is it's absolutely not about you. Get some of this from having a dog, right? Like if you're, if you're a dog lover, you know, I mean, this complimentary. Yes. yes. People who don't, people who don't have pets or don't have kids are probably like, wait, a kid is the same as a dog? (laughs) Sort of. Actually, yeah. Right? Like my dog, Henry, did not give a shit if I sold a screenplay. My dog, Henry, did not care if I had a new house. My dog, Henry, just wanted to hang out with me and play. You know what I mean? Like, same thing with my daughter. Same thing with my daughter. And, and you know, again, my happiness is her happiness. She's happy. I'm happy. You know, so it's just this wonderful, this wonderful relief of my opinion doesn't matter. You know, my, my feelings don't really matter if I just wake up and do the, the next right thing. You know, guess what? You got a responsibility to feed your kid and make sure she's at school. So you just get up and do stuff without like this. You know, it's not so much a chore, right? Like, oh, oh, God, I got to go do this thing. I got this meeting with this guy. Now it's like everything I do allows me to have the life I want for my daughter. So it's all good. It's all good, you know, and I'm and I'm just really blessed because I just have to allow her to have her own opinions and make her own mistakes and not be too controlling. You know, like she gets a dog and she says, I want to name the dog cute. (laughs) And my, my daughter's mother's like, well, can we, can we name her beauty? I'm like, let her name the dog cute. (laughs) It's her dog. Is it a verb? I don't know. It's hilarious. Just name the dog cute. So we have a, we have a husky named cute. (laughs) <laughs> that's great. that's awesome yeah having a child was it everything that you thought it was gonna be or did you did you always want to be a parent no absolutely not it, it was something that never made sense to me like i've heard other people say like in their 20s oh i can't wait to be a dad or they say well when i'm a dad or when i'm a parent and i would just always kind of nod along politely and say oh yeah it's not something that interests me but I, i'm glad to hear you're into it like when people mention baseball i don't watch baseball but people be like oh man did you see the yankees and i can't believe it and i'm just like no it, it sounds like a good game like i said I had no interest in baseball. I had no interest in being a parent. And it was almost like, I don't know if midlife crisis is the right word, but I was in my 40s and I had achieved some things. You know, I felt like, er, if only I had made more money or er, if I was more famous or something, fill in the blank. I felt like my, I would have been satisfied. But I also knew that wasn't true because I've had friends who've achieved materially things I want and I see it doesn't change them, right? Like, I was really ahead of the game. But nothing ever really satisfied the same way as when I had a kid, right? Like, I felt like my experience and everyone's experience is different. They always say, oh, man, when you have a kid, it's the greatest thing in the world. That that was true. Like, being a professional writer, yeah, pretty cool. You know, living in California, absolutely great. But you know what? Uh, for me, my experience was like, 
just being relieved of my own self-absorption and having someone to love unconditionally has just made my life wonderful. You know, I, sometimes I scratch my head and I'm like, I, when, I, when I beat myself up, I say, I should have had a kid sooner. I would have been happy sooner. <laughs> you know what? The universe works in its own time. It worked out okay for me. You look like a younger guy. So, I mean, you got, you know, you got that working for you. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Thank you. <laughs> So, you know, you, I don't tell him, don't uh, tell anyone I color my beard. If I don't color my beard, it's white. It's white as Santa Claus. Well, I, I, I got that now, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I just I forgot we were on. I thought me and you were on the phone talking. I just realized hundreds <laughs> of people just heard me say that. I'm like, yeah, don't tell anyone I, I color my beard. I it was a big mystery. Um, In case anyone out there is wondering if my jet black beard is unnatural. <laughs> is that hard to do? I've never done that you know i i've always just got like the crappy nine dollar uh drugstore you know beard and mustache color like i never went to like a fancy salon mm-hmm. you know i i i sell for one of these facebook ads you know like the new natural like made of like ground up walnut like all <laughs> natural color i haven't tried it yet <laughs> oh man it's amazing though how you get treated differently like bro if i don't color my beard like and i have my white beard like when I walk up to a counter, it's always sir, you know. Uh, oh, hello, sir. Yeah, I, I much prefer when I get called buddy or dude or brother. What are your favorite movies or TV shows? Um, let's see. One of my favorite. It's funny. One of my favorite TV shows, and this is not this is not groundbreaking at all. But right. I just want to talk about why. The Sopranos is so brilliant. For so many reasons, we can't list them all here. But for me, just the way they very simply portray everybody as a hypocrite. You love them, you identify with them, but just the way, like, Tony Soprano in one part of the episode, he's like, man, why can't people be like Gary Cooper, like the strong, silent type? There's so much complaining going on in this world. And you're like, yeah, yeah. And then, like, four scenes later, he's just whining like a bitch, right? (laughs) And they do it so seamlessly that you almost don't realize it because then when he's whining, you're agreeing with what he's whining about. And then you're like, wait a minute. And it's just so great because, you know, it's just it's underneath this badass guy who's a mobster and it's super cool. And it's just so well done. So that's one of my favorite shows. Like I say, not groundbreaking, but just to talk about how we're all hypocrites. And me, too. You know, I'm not immune. And like you said, the the key to those movies were, it was like reading a great novel. Like, what is going to happen next? Well, and also, like, I really enjoyed, because I like like that style of writing, like that cult where, like, kind of everyone's doomed. Like, nobody's nobody's a real good guy. Like, everyone's morally ambiguous. I mean, actually, most of the characters in that movie were criminals. They were lowlifes. And, like, that was intriguing to watch. Like, I've always enjoyed that, you know, like those type of characters. Um, you know what's funny? I'm I'm really digging these days, bro. Is I love, I love the Pixar movies, right? Yes. Like I'm just like a I'm a middle aged dad now, and as much as I love that gritty, pulpy Tarantino stuff, it's really amazing how I can sit and watch Moana over and over again. I've watched Moana with my daughter about twenty times. <laughs> now, normally, under any circumstance, could you? Could you name a movie other than maybe The Godfather that you could watch 20 times? You know what I mean? Yeah. Be like, 
I'm bored of this De Niro guy. Enough of this already. You know what I mean? But for some reason, like the spirit in those movies, the spirit in those those Pixar movies of just hope and faith and goodness. You know what? I'm all in. I'm all for it. I like to see that these days. You know, like I see a lot of my filmmaker friends shaking their fists and like, Disney or boo, Marvel. I'm sick of superheroes. You know what? I like. I like hope, you know, like yeah. I like a happy ending these days. Sure. I love Pulp Fiction for what it is. Sure. I love like those gritty dog day afternoon movies from the seventies, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with saying, I want to, I want to really just feel good. I want, I want some faith in humanity restored. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's like, it's, it's fine to dwell a little in like a David Fincher film and how bleak it is. But why not dwell in, like, Captain Marvel? Yeah. (laughs) She's awesome, you know? Oh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Strictly Sexual. So how did that that happen? And so what I read, it was number one on Hulu. But this is a lot. You were were before Netflix and all those. I mean, you got in the race before anyone, right? Hulu was, like, this new thing. And it was mostly... I mean, now streamers are just like, they dominate TV. This is how we view, I mean, heck, people don't even go to the movie theaters anymore. They they can't with COVID. Right. So it's all Netflix and Amazon Prime and AMC Plus. But in the year 2008, you know, it was just a way for the studios trying to combat piracy on the internet because there were hackers or college kids or I don't know who were watching pirated movies, you know, so they had to try and like keep up with it by coming up with their own, like, okay, okay, look, if you're going to watch movies on the internet, at least just watch it here. And we'll put some commercials on there and hopefully we won't lose too much money. And at the time I felt like such a failure that I had made this movie. I spent years trying to find the financing and I finally got it made and we did some test screenings and we sent it to all the festivals. And, you know, we just thought like, man, I've, I've made a, a really wonderful film about love and sex. Mm-hmm. Seems silly now, but you know, when you're, when you're younger, that's the most important thing. You yeah. can make a movie about falling in love, you know, or getting laid. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So at the time, you know, when my movie wasn't picked up by, you know, a big distributor and shown in movie theaters, I thought, oh, I failed. Um, and I thought I was going to go to Sundance and win Sundance. And it would be in movie theaters. But no, <laughs> it ended up going to some smaller distributor who put it on the, the Hulu internet site. And then the craziest thing happened where it just became the most popular thing on their site. Like, not just the most popular movie or comedy, but like, they had a listing of the most watched of all time. And it was like, you know, Saturday Night Live, The Daily Show, Family Guy, and number one, Strictly Sexual. So for for years, for years, this was the most watched thing. And then, like, the internet kind of, like, caught up. Like, all of a sudden, people could hook up the internet to their television so you could watch Netflix on your TV. Netflix had a new thing called Instant Watch, where, you know, instead of getting the DVDs mailed, you press the button and you could watch some of the movies so anyways yeah it became really popular on that i would just get 
emails all the time. People would hit me up on Facebook, and it it really became this kind of weird cult hit, and it was kind of neat. I was I was internet famous for a couple of years there. What do you think of Hollywood today? If you were starting out today, do you feel like what do you see? There's like TikTok famous, Instagram famous. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Well, I mean, look, there's in every era, there's change that scares people, right? Like when all of a sudden, silent movies they can talk. Mm-hmm. They call them the talkies. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it'll never last. No one actually wants to hear the people talking. <laughs> like that was a real issue. Yeah. Like they really believed that. Right. Or when like television came along, like what? No one, no, no one wants to sit in their living room and watch a feature film. They have to go to the theater. You know, like whenever things change, there's pushback, right? Especially, especially for the people who are benefiting from the old way, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Like. The old Hollywood development system paid me and a lot of screenwriters really well for a lot of years, right? Like in from the mid nineties to like the mid two thousands, there were so many development deals. Every major studio was developing hundreds of movies, hundreds of them. And like, they all had these open writing assignments. Like, yeah, we're working on this thing. It's a, it's a DJ for the FBI movie. Or yeah, no, we, we're working on a movie where um, the kid's got a talking lunchbox and we just need someone <laughs> to, well, pay you 50 grand to write it. You know what I mean? It's just like, right. And that's, you know, and multiply that times a thousand. You know what I mean? Like everybody was working on all these movies that were never going to get made. Right. That doesn't exist right now. Right. Like that whole system. And believe me, I miss it. Because I was one of the guys that could, you know, get paid a ton of money to rewrite some movie that was never going to get made. They just developed hundreds and hundreds of them because they could afford to do that because back then they'd make a movie. If it made money in the theater, great. If it didn't, that didn't matter either because they would sell millions and millions and millions of cassette tapes and DVDs to Blockbuster. Mm. Right? Yeah. So... All pretty much all movies made money. You'd have to make a real disaster to not make money from like the mid nineties to the mid two thousands. And then all of a sudden this internet thing came along and people were like, Wait, why should I buy a DVD? <laughs> uh, what why do why do I need a copy of this Pauly Shore movie on DVD? <laughs> like right. and people just stopped buying it. They just stopped and they stopped going to Blockbuster and Blockbuster went out of business and Blockbuster stopped buying a million copies of every movie that came out. Right. So it changes. But now, meanwhile, the other side of that is you have all these channels and you have all these ways. Like when I started in Hollywood in the mid nineties, you couldn't just make a movie and have people watch it. Mm. Like you had to shoot it on film, right? Which is not cheap, Mm -mm. right? Like you needed a lot of money to develop the film and process it and edit it. Now you can film a movie on your phone. Yeah. Right? You can film a movie and you can edit it on your phone. Mm-hmm. And you can just press a few buttons and have people pay $3 on Amazon, pay $3 on Vimeo, pay $3 on uh, all these different services. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's people out there, you know, YouTubers. And sure, people could look down their nose at the TikTokers or the YouTubers or, you know, some some guys making a million dollars a year making videos where he's unboxing a thing. Mm-hmm. But God bless them. Yeah. 
I think that's great. I mean, I don't watch most of that. I really don't watch any of it. But you know what? If someone wants to make their own show and put it up there, God, that's amazing. And actually, some of our hit shows now started that way, right? Like Disarray and Insecure yeah. made a YouTube show. Mm-hmm. And people would watch it on YouTube. And then a couple people somewhere along the way said, man, this should be on HBO. And now it is. You know what I mean? Like, that's great. Because guess what? A black woman might not have gotten to write and star in her own show if she hadn't made it on YouTube. Right, right. Oh, yeah. So I, I think that's, that's amazing. It's giving us more voices. Look, I wish that that Hollywood system still existed because it was stupid, easy money and paid for all my health insurance. And I have a decent uh, pension because of it. But also at the same time, you know what? It, life just changes and that's okay. Now, now I can just write books. I could write a book and press a button and it gets published around the world. Yeah. That didn't exist 10 years ago either. What are things like now with COVID? I mean, is Hollywood shut down? America just, unfortunately, we just let this disease get ahead of us. Right. And it's just a disaster. There, there's some places they're filming. I have something we're working on right now that has like partial financing, which means probably we'll never find the rest of it. But the budget we ran includes $400,000 for COVID testing for a $10 million movie. Oh, my God. Holy cow. <laughs> right? $400,000 just for all the procedures to make sure, you know. And and I get it. You know, it's like you don't want people getting sick. I liked how you said that the people who really poo-poo this stuff is like they wanted to go back the way it used to because it was they were already in the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the people who don't want things to change are the ones that are benefiting from it staying the same. Those families within Hollywood where you're like, okay, yeah, he's the top guy at that agency. And, oh, that guy runs that studio. I was telling him about Strictly Sexual on, on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, he's like, but do you think the corporations really want you doing that? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, he's like, it's, and this, dude, this guy was like, he saw it. You know what I mean? Like he saw the beginning of the end. He said, if guys like you can just go make a movie and put it on the internet, what's it, what's it going to do to the rest of us? Yeah. And I was like, uh, <laughs> like, cause I wasn't thinking that from a, corporate how do we milk all the money out of this thing i was just like dude i made a movie check it out people are watching it how come more people in hollywood aren't reaching out to me you know Mm. my movie's getting watched more than the daily show saturday night live uh whatever the top shows were on hulu i was getting watched by more than any of them i'm like how come they're not calling and he said for that exact reason he's like because we like having gatekeepers that's how we stay in control, and that's how we get rich. He's like, guys like you come along, and you make a movie like that. That eliminates a lot of jobs. <laughs> you mm. know what I mean? And he wasn't saying, like, I'm putting farmers out of work. Right. And guess what, bro? He was right. Ten years later, <laughs> I'm putting rich executives out of work. You ever think about, like, if I would have gotten everything, would I still be happy? And I think a lot of people, they get to that dream, and they get there, and it crushes them because they're still broken. Right like maybe a month into my first professional writing gig. I don't know, 28 or 29 years old, driving to the Warner Brothers lot, where all of a sudden I had an office in a parking spot. Three months before that, I was working at a campground, putting kids on horses for $50 a day. You know, 
all of a sudden I was a professional writer at the biggest studio in the world. And some guy cut me off in traffic and I jump out and I've got a tire iron in my hand. And I'm like, I'm going to kick your ass. And how dare you? And just like this feeling of it's never going to end. I'm always going to feel like an asshole. I'm always going to hate myself. It doesn't matter. Hollywood, Warner Brothers, I just am filled with so much fear and rage. I can't help myself. And dude, I just remember like this terrifying feeling of nothing would ever make me feel better. Because, you know, when you spend your whole life daydreaming about someday I'm going to arrive, and then you arrive, and a month later you're on Melrose Avenue with a tire iron, you got issues. (laughs) You know what I mean? You you need help. Yes. So, Stevie, this is a last question for you. What advice would you give the millennials if you could go and, and speak to college graduates or high school graduates? What advice would you tell them? If they were listening and I could give them some advice, it would be this. Don't get hung up on dumb bullshit, right? You don't really think it's dumb bullshit in your 20s, but like, no, focus on what you want to do. Don't get angry and bent out of shape over, you know, you loved a girl and she didn't want you. You know, my one regret in life is not being happier. I was happy a lot, but I was also complaining a lot. Yeah. I wish I had complained less. Young people today believe more that they could do stuff, right? Like that's another wonderful thing is like they see that people in fact can just grab a camera and be a YouTuber Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, a generation before this, if you grew up in a coal mining town, you became a coal miner. These kids today, I think they know, hey, I could have my own YouTube channel. Hey, I could have my own TikTok. Maybe they don't want to hear any advice from me. Well, Stevie, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. Is there anything that you want people to check out? Somebody out there somewhere hears this and something I said helps them in some way. My life ain't perfect. It is not It is not the life I had planned on having, but it's pretty fucking great. And life ain't so fucking bad, you know? Oh, yeah. I've said this to you before, and it's still true. Hold on to what you have. Tell the people around you you love. I love you, Farley. Yeah, I love you, too. I love you, brother. I love you, too. Uh, Man, thank you so much. 